I'm going to read the passage today from Romans 6, if you guys want to follow along, the whole chapter. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin." For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. What then are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting? But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right. How many kids do we have here today? Awesome. Okay, guys, I have, uh, first of all, for everybody, our um, sermon series uh, this month, we're, we're looking at, um, at different Christmas songs, and then we're, we're picking a line in that song, and then we're uh, looking at that line and a passage that kind of goes along with that line, and so we just sang the song, which was, How Sweet the Day, and... Um, our line today is, he came to break the power of sin. So, um, for all the kids, I have a couple of questions for you today. The first is, what is freedom? 
Does anyone know what that word means? Marshall. Yeah, freedom means to be free. Okay. Does anyone else have... Uh, so if you're in prison, you don't have freedom. But if you get released, then you do have freedom, right? right so, the people here in this room, do we have freedom? Yes, right? And why do we have freedom? Does anyone shout it out? Nobody's forcing us to do anything. Has any, anyone forced you to do anything today? All right, so do we have the freedom to do whatever we want? No. No? Well, um, what if we were in here and I was sitting in the back and I just wanted to yell, fire! Am I allowed to do that? No. No. Will I get in trouble? Yes. Probably. So, and then you said you're, you, you have freedom, you live in a place that's free, right? But... Your parents make you do things? Do your parents make you go to school or do your schoolwork? Right? Do they make you sometimes eat food that you don't want to eat? Is that free? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> so, the. Uh, when, when we have freedom, anytime we have freedom, there, there's always some kind of restriction that comes along with that freedom. No matter how free we are, no matter where we live, even if you, you're like, well, my parents make me do things. My parents make me eat my peas, and I don't like to eat peas. And when I grow up, I'm not going to eat peas, and I'm going to be free to do whatever I want. And when you grow up, your parents may not make you eat peas then, but there's still going to be other restrictions on your life, Right? You can't just drive 100 miles an hour down the road anytime you want, right? So the Bible tells us that we always have a master, no matter what. So either we will serve God as our master, or we will be a slave to sin. And either way, if if we think that I I don't like the rules that God gives me, and I'm not going to follow those rules, and I'm not going to have a master, and I'm going to be free and do whatever I want. Do we have freedom then? No. No, because then we're a slave to our sin, and our sin will control us, and it'll cause us to do things that we don't want to do, and it'll cause us to have consequences that we don't want to have. So, does anyone know what rules then that God gives us to follow? Ten Commandments, yeah. <laughs> Go to sleep. Well, God, God threw the headship over your parents, tells you to go to sleep, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, to love others. So, yeah, Jesus tells us that, that that's one of the ways that we can summarize all of the law in the Old Testament is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. 
So we have, we have the Bible so that God gives us rules to follow. And God doesn't give us those rules to follow because God is harsh and wants to control us and not allow us to have any fun, right? But because God loves us and God doesn't want us to be ruled by our sin and having to serve that harsh and cruel master. But God wants to be a master that loves us and cares for us and wants the best for us. So I have one other thing for you to think about then that goes along with this passage. Does anyone have a tree in their yard that produces fruit or nuts or something like that? Okay. Kate, what kind of tree do you have? A peach tree? Okay, how do you know it's a peach tree? You've seen peaches growing on it? Yeah. And you know what peaches look like, right? What about you guys back there? So you've got apple trees and pear trees. And what makes you think that's an apple tree? So what if I told you guys you were all wrong and those are all orange trees? I know what I know you thought it was, but it's actually an orange tree. I'm a tree specialist and I know these things. Would you believe me? No. Well, why not? I've been to your house. I've seen the tree. That's an orange tree. Well, how do you know? Yeah, because you can see the fruit that it grows, right? And you know an orange tree is going to produce what? Oranges. And an apple tree, no matter how badly it wants to produce an orange, is it going to produce an orange? No. It's always going to be what? An apple. All right, and so that's the other thing we're going to see in this passage is, is we, we are going to serve a master, right? And so that... What, what we see in our life is going to show us what kind of tree we are, right? So if, if we say, I'm an apple tree, and I love being an apple tree, and everything about me is an apple tree, but we don't produce apples, are we an apple tree? No. So today, when, when you go home, I want you to ask your parents how Jesus asks us to serve him, and, and about how he breaks the power of sin. And you can ask me later. What? Yeah, we've got a bad apple tree that in five years has still only produced one apple. <laughs> so it's not a very good apple tree, is it? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so like I said, we, we are, we're going to look at um, he came to break the power of sin, but let me pray real quick. <sighs> Father, we just... Um, we thank you for the opportunity that, um, that we do live in a place that is free, that we are able to gather this morning to worship you freely, and um, we, we thank you that in your love for us, that, that your desire for us is not to just serve you 
alone by ourselves out in the wilderness, but your desire is for a church body. Your desire is to bring us together as one people so that, that we can bear each other's burdens, that we can teach and admonish and love one another. And we thank you for the opportunity to come together as a body to do that, to praise your name, to pray to you, to sing to you, to learn from your word. Father, I pray that, that you use this opportunity to speak through your word. Um, Father, that, uh, that, that I don't completely understand everything you have to say, but, but that you would still um, use this opportunity to speak through it and, and to speak to us and to show us how you love us, how you break the power of sin, and how we have new life in you. And we pray in your name. Amen. So, uh, I've not really preached before on uh, a song um, and, and a, trying to tie a passage to that. So the, the first thing I did is I looked at that line and I kind of came up with some questions for myself was if, if the line is he came to break the power of sin was then what, what is the power of sin? Why does sin have power over us? How can we not break the sin of power ourselves? How did Jesus, why, or why did Jesus have to come to break that power? How does he break that power? And then what is the result of that power being broken? And I'm not going to keep going back through those through the whole sermon, but just that's kind of something for us to keep in our mind and to think through here um, as, as we go through the passage. I, I found an illustration in one of the books that I was reading on the commentaries on Romans. And, uh, and then I read a different commentary and I had the same illustration and I ended up reading like five commentaries and three of them had it. So I thought that might be uh, a good reason to share that. So the story here is about um, a man called Rasputin. And so if, if you're unfamiliar with uh, the character of Rasputin in uh, Russia in the early 20th century. Um, he was, uh, his name was not actually Rasputin, but it was a name given to him because when he was a young man, uh, he was known for his debauchery and immortality. Or Im- immorality. And so um, that, that word in, in Russian goes along with that. So it, it wasn't like it was a great title given to him, but it was the people around him were like, you're a hood rat. So he, um, around 22, he, he had a uh, kind of a, a spiritual awakening and went off to go study to go be a monk. And when he went and studied, he, he studied under an antinomian sect known as the Flagellants, and, uh, not the Flatulents. But they believed that sinning was necessary for salvation, and that the more that you sinned, the more secure your salvation was. And the idea was that if, if God gives us grace because of our sin, then let's just sin more and more and more, and we'll get more and more grace. And so two years later, then Rasputin comes back to Russia as a holy man, and uh, he, he's particularly loved because... Uh, he seems to have kind of a, a power or an influence over people where, where uh, sick people are being healed. And so he, he's viewed as this holy person who can help heal people. 
But again, Rasputin believed then that uh, that the, the best way to be overcome with the power of God was was that you should just become physically exhausted from immor- immorality and drunkenness to the point that you're just you're passing out and you're completely exhausted, and then from that point you would get God's grace. So. Eventually, he, he travels uh, to Petersburg, and he meets with the, the Tsar of Russia and becomes family friends and uh, starts to have influence over them, and um, especially the, the Tsar's wife, Alexandra. Um, it's even rumored that they have a relationship with one another, and um, during this time, just debauchery and sin and unholiness just is, is reigning in the area. And uh, the Tsar loses credibility with the people. And it's during that time that the, the Bolshe- Bolshevik Revolution happens, that um, Rasputin is killed, that the uh, Tsar is overthrown, and the Bolsheviks take over. And uh, through that, then uh, the royal head is, is filled with linen. And so um, this is just a story to show that the when, if, if we adopt this idea, if we think about the, that we can receive the grace of God by not mortifying our sin, by embracing sin and, and having a lax attitude towards it, that moral depravity will just reign. And, and so one of the things that, that some uh, historians say that if there was no Rasputin, then uh, there would have been no linen. And if there had been no linen, then there would have been no communism. And tens of millions of people may have not died then, um, in part because of this one man's immorality. So let's look at the context here. So Paul has spent the last few chapters telling us that no one is righteous, that righteousness that we receive is not from our, our own work, but it's from the work of Jesus, that our justification comes through faith that is completed in the work of Christ, not from our own works, that every law of God given to us um, just increased our rebellion. So therefore, as the law increased, our sin increased, and as our sin increased, grace abounded. And so as a uh, reformed Calvinistic church, uh, one of the most commonly waged accusations uh, against a Calvinistic understanding of the doctrines of grace is that if, if someone is saved completely by the work of Jesus and not their own work, then can't they just live like a heathen and not care about um, holiness and do whatever they want and it won't make any difference, right? Because... They don't have to earn their salvation. They don't have to do anything. It's, it's all from the work of God. So Paul, who has been preaching that justification comes through faith in the completed work of Christ and not from our own work here in this passage, he already anticipates this question. And so uh, it's exactly that response, and, and he answers it here. So let's go uh, back to our passage here. So... What is the power of sin? That was the the question that I asked in there. And um, what what we're going to do here is we're going to start at the end of the passage, which was uh, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the power 
of sin is physical and spiritual death. When Adam sinned, God told him that there was going to be death. And because of that, we all die. But because of that, even more than that physical death, we all have spiritual death. And so it is also the power of sin that it draws us back in, that it causes us to rebel against God. And as, as Paul says later, to, to do the things that we do not want to do. So he says, so since uh, where, where sin has abounded, grace has abounded. So again, that, that question is, so shouldn't we just sin even more? That way more grace can be poured out. And so Paul says, by no means should that be what we do. We may, or in uh, the NASB, he says, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? So if, if we view... Um, if we view salvation the way that the Bible explains it, that salvation isn't just, okay, now I believe Jesus exists and I try to do the things that Jesus says. But, but Paul is saying salvation isn't that, that it's, it's we have death to our sin. We kill our sin and we have new life in Jesus. So if, if our sin is dead, then how can we continue to live in it? Um. So, death of Christ is death to sin. And, and he starts talking about baptism here. He says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So, we, we see um, over and over in the New Testament that, that baptism is synchronous with this uh, um, salvific experience. Um, it's a weird way to say that. <laughs> Essentially, baptism and salvation, they, they, they go one in one. And it's a, he's not saying that baptism is what's saving us, but we're just saying that in the New Testament, when someone became a believer, a disciple, they are just baptized then, always. Like It's not like, a, well, let's wait a year and see how things go, and then it's just, it, it happens then. So, um, it, it's kind of like the, in the New Testament, baptism is probably the closest thing we have to like, uh, in, in modern culture, what we see is like the sinner's prayer, that bab- baptism is that public profession of faith. It's, it's that person saying in front of everyone around them, I accept this new lifestyle, and, and, um, He's saying the awesome thing about baptism is that it's, it, it's a very visual cue of this. And so as Baptists, when we do a baptism, that's, we, we kind of follow along and we say that. And it's part of why we do immersion is that you physically see this. It's like this person is dying and they're being buried under the water. And then they come back and are resurrected in Jesus. And so... That's, that's what he's saying here is, is that baptism depicts the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so um, it's, it's important for us to have that reminder as we see when someone is baptized so that we, we remember that as what's happening with them. Uh, but it's also important for us as a body when we have a baptism because we're all seeing that and we're all being reminded of that in our own life that, that following Jesus isn't just a thing I do, but it's I, I was buried with Jesus, and as Jesus was resurrected from the dead, I have been resurrected from the death of sin. 
And so um, the purpose of that death is to be freed from sin. For he says, for the one who has died has been set free from sin. So back to our song. In, in verse 1, it says, How sweet the day when Christ was born, when God himself took human form. He came to wash our sins away, our death to die, our debt to pay. So the resurrection of Christ is a resurrection to life. Um, I know this, this song isn't, um, it, it's not a typical Christmas song. Uh, I know a couple of weeks ago I was, I was talking to someone about what I was preaching and that was the, well, that's not a Christmas song, but obviously here it's talking about the birth of Jesus, right? Um, but Jesus's death without resurrection is unfinished worth, or unfinished work. Jesus's birth without his death and resurrection then also is unfinished work. So at Christmas, we pause to dwell on the mystery of God taking human form, um, being born, being wrapped in cloths, laid down in a feeding trough. Um, It's an incredible story. But that story alone gives us uh, no hope without the rest of of Jesus' life. Um, In thinking about this, I, I, I thought of a uh, a movie um, if anyone has seen the movie Talladega Nights <laughs> Will Ferrell's character plays to he prays to tiny baby Jesus right um, and so as he's praying to tiny baby Jesus for their meal of KFC and Taco Bell and soda his wife starts getting irritated and uh, she says you know Jesus grew up you don't have to call him tiny baby Jesus in fact, it's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. And Will Ferrell snaps back and he says that he prefers the Christmas Jesus. Um, the, the, that's his, his, his favorite. And then his best friend chimes in and he goes, Well, uh, I like to think of Jesus uh, wearing a tuxedo t-shirt because he's, he's formal, but he's also letting you know he's here to party and I like to party. And then his son jumps in and says, well, I like to think of Jesus as he's dressed up like a ninja and he's, he's fighting off evil samurai. And we think of that story and we think, like, that is ridiculous. Like, it is so obvious how ridiculous it is to think of, of us making Jesus in our own image like that and, and forming Jesus to, to look like this ridiculous caricature. But the truth is that, that all of us do that. That uh, all of us have usually many, or I'll say many of us have a poor theology of Jesus. Here, it's super obvious that they have a terrible theology of Jesus, but um, that their Jesus is not an all-powerful, all-knowing God who purposefully gave his life and was resurrected, but he's, he's this little baby, or he's a ninja, or he's party Jesus. Um, and so, the thing for us to remember is that our Jesus is not just a baby laid into a manger. He is all-powerful, and his death paid our debt and has given us new life. Now, that doesn't mean that at that specific time of Jesus laying in the manger that he wasn't all-powerful. He still is there, so just to clarify that. But just for our own thoughts of when we think of Jesus, um, especially at Christmas time, it's easy just to think of a baby that's 
helpless and not able to do things. And there is that tension there. But it's important for us to remember as well that Jesus is all-powerful and not just the baby laying there. So, um, resurrection breaks the mastery of sin and death. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, in verses 16 through 19, it says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has been raised, your faith is, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. That's a mouthful there. Basically, to say that because Jesus was raised from the dead, he will not die again. Therefore, death has no mastery over us because we have died to our sin. We died with Jesus. We have, Jesus was resurrected from the dead. We are resurrected from the dead in that. And so death no longer has any power, any victory over us. Death was once, life is forever. In verse 10, it says, For the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives to God. So you all must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In verse 2, it says, How sweet the day when hope appeared. The one who frees us from our fears. He came to break the power of sin and give us power to follow him. So as Jesus broke the power of sin... And, and he lives his life to God. We are to live lives of living sacrifice. And I know that doesn't flow off the tongue as well easy. Um, but Paul, in, in writing Romans, it's, it's, it's a book of death and life and death and life. And, and he keeps talking about all the different ways that, that we die, that, that um, our, our sin is death to us, but we, but Jesus died and we die into that sin and that the law was death, but that Jesus was raised from the dead and we have new life in him. And so Christ's death and resurrection then uh, is imputed to the believer. So that just means that, that Jesus died and Jesus was resurrected, but that's given to us. We didn't do it. We didn't do any of it. But yet we, we get the benefit of that. So Jesus breaks the power of sin, but we reap the rewards of it. That um, in later in Romans 12, 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So again, with the death and life, we, sacrifice is death, right? In the Old Testament, they, to pay for their sins, they bring an animal, they sacrifice it, they kill it. And so he's saying like, our sacrifice now, Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. So now we don't, we don't live in this Old Testament temple time. We don't need to bring animals to the temple. We don't need to sacrifice them. So rather, our sacrifice isn't death. Our sacrifice is life. Our sacrifice is we live lives of sacrifice, that we live lives committed to Jesus and committed to his word. So um, 
I want to say, if, if, if you read this passage here, and, and it's talking here, and it says that, um, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, knowing that have been raised from the dead is never to die again, and death no longer is master over him. Um, and then he says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, and present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Do not let sin be a master over you for you are not under the law, but under grace. Like if, if you read this passage and, and you are cut to the core with terror, that you do not count yourself dead to sin, that you are constantly ensnared by sin, that you feel trapped to its power. Um, I, I just want to pause and say that you are not alone in this. In uh, sitting down, and I, I've been trying to work through this passage for almost a month now, and um, <laughs> having a really hard time trying to figure out what to say and where to go. And, and just like in reading that and just being like, well, that like, that's me. That's it. I constantly am failing and falling to sin and not seeing God as my master and, and going back to sin being my master. And it says like, if you died to sin and th- then how can you serve it? And so like, well, that must be it. Like I must not be a Christian. And so I probably shouldn't get up here and talk to everybody. <laughs> um, and so, uh, anytime you have trouble with a passage, I think it's always best to try to understand the context. So we read before it, we read after it. And um, luckily for us, uh, Paul also, uh, I think, feels this way. So, Paul says in the very next chapter, uh, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, and that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do, who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And then uh, 24, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And again, Every time I try to read Paul, his, 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 it, it, it's, it's not easy. So uh, that, that to say, if, if you live in your sin and you are okay with your sin and you have no desire to overcome your sin, then yes, you have a serious problem. And, and um, you need to earnestly seek the Lord for you have either not been crucified with Christ and been born a new creation or you have hardened your heart so much against the spirit that you need to pray that the Lord would soften your heart, that you would hear from again, that you would be moved by him, and, and so that you would see the, the putridness of your sin and, and you would want to flee from it. But if in, in reading this, you, you know that you don't like sin, 
that you want it gone from your body, but it seems that you just continually fall back into sin. That Paul, Paul's not saying like, then you're not a Christian and you need to work harder and you need to do better. Because he's saying right before that, there is no way you can work that hard. You can't earn your salvation. So, um, while we do expect the apple tree to grow apples, um, part of that isn't, it, it, it's not a, that we're going to live perfect lives and not sin, but it's that um, because we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, that we are going to be convicted of sin, that we are going to hate sin, and he is going to cause us to want to change that, even though it's going to be a constant battle for us for the rest of our life, because we're still here, and, and we have not been given glorified bodies yet, and so sin is going to continue to be a struggle with us as long as we, we live here on earth. So, um, no matter what we do, we are enslaved to a master. Like I, I said in the kid's sermon, that even if we think that we have cast off a burden from God and that we're, we're going to live life the way that we want to live life and I don't, I don't want to follow God anymore and I'm just going to do whatever I want, if, if we do that, then we still have a master. And our master is sin. Our master is our flesh. And he is a brutal master. He is a master who seeks to destroy us in, in every way possible and leave us with nothing. Um, but Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So while sin is a brutal master which seeks to destroy us, there is no better master than Jesus. Jesus is tender and he cares for us. His burden is light. His heart is gentle and lowly. He offers us care and rest for our souls. So to be a slave to Christ is not to serve a, a heavy burden, but to be a, a, slave for, a slave to Christ is to experience life itself. Um, Dane Ortland in Gentle and Lowly says, Consider what Jesus is saying. A yoke is the heavy crossbar laid on the oxen to force them to drag farming equipment through the field. Jesus is using a kind of irony here, saying that the yoke laid on his disciples is a non-yoke, for it is a yoke of kindness. Who could resist this? It's like telling a drowning man that he must put on the burden of a life preserver, only to hear him shout back, sputtering, No way! Not me! This is hard enough, drowning here in these stormy waters. The last thing I need is the added burden of a life preserver around my body. So, Paul uh, wraps up our, our chapter here with uh, what, what we started at the beginning with, which is the famous verse of 623, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So again, the, the benefit of sin is physical and spiritual death. Our sin earns us spiritual death, just like it earned Adam the death that God promised him. 
But the benefit of death to sin then is eternal life. To die to our sin, to share in Christ's death and therefore his resurrection is to receive the benefit of spiritual life. To be given not just life after our physical death, but to be given new spiritual life now as well. So, um, I have uh, I have one kind of illustration that, that bounced around my head this week, and it's not a perfect analogy, um, but but the one that that I kept thinking about was that of a heart transplant. So, in order to to have a heart transplant, there there have to be um, two terrible tragedies. Uh, the first is is you have um, a a person who who has a heart that, that can't be fixed by modern science, and um, the, the only way to have that successful heart transplant is, first, there has to be a person who is healthy and has a healthy heart, um, and that person has to die. And then the second is the person who needs the heart transplant. They have to go into an operating room, and they're going to cut them open and open up their chest and that person has to die. They have to physically remove their heart out of their body. And so in that moment, that person is dead. This other person has died. And then they take the new heart and they put it in to that person's body. And then they have new life and a new heart. And so just as um, if... Uh, they, they die to their broken and worn out old heart and they have new life and their new functioning heart. It's, it's the same for us. If, if that person wants later, um, they're healthy and they're like, I, I, I don't want this heart anymore. I want my old heart. There is no option for that. The old heart is gone. They have a new heart in their body that, that heart is dead. It has decayed. It has been thrown away and it's gone. There, there's no way to get that heart back into their body. And so just like that, if, if we really have been buried with Jesus in his death and we have had resurrection with him and we are believers, then, then we are dead to sin. And, and while there is that tension there and sin is still going to affect us with our, our mortal body, that it is no longer our master, that, that we have the opportunity to have victory over sin. And so the, the last verse in our song is, How sweet the day when Christ returns. We'll see the one for whom we yearn. We'll look upon his, full upon his face and our hearts will burst with songs of praise. And then the chorus is, Oh, sing for joy, lift up your voice. Let us sing for joy, the whole earth rejoice. Let us sing for joy to the Son, for Jesus, our Savior, has come. So as we transition then in, into communion, take a look at your life. And um, do, you, do you desire sin? Or do you despise sin? Do you flee from sin? And um, do you confess your sin? Do you look to repent from your sin? Um, and 
you know, t- take, take a few moments and, and really r- wrestle through that. If, if you find that, that you're not, like, I, I don't despise my sin. Like, my, my only thing is I just don't want other people to find out about it. I don't really care about it. I just don't want other people to think badly about me. Then, then you have a serious spiritual problem here. Like, you, you do need new life. Um, if, if you have unrepentant sin, if, if you have sinned against someone in this room and, and you're angry with them, like the Bible tells us, like, don't, don't go take communion right now. Like, go find them. Go pray with them. Go talk to them. Like, that, that's the exciting thing about communion is it's not just you and God. Like, it is, it's, uh, it's us and God that we are a community, that we are the body of Christ. And so, um, if, if, if you're new here and, and you're not familiar with it, again, uh, we, we have uh, the little cups out there. If you weren't able to get one, they're out in the hall. All right. So, uh, if, if, if you're a believer in Christ, we have out in the hallway, the little cups, wine, or not wine, <laughs> grape juice to represent the wine, and a little cracker. Um, but we can, we can take that and celebrate. Um, let us sing for joy. Let us take up the bread and cup, rejoicing that our Savior has come, that, that his body has been broken, that his blood has been spilled, that he has broken the power of sin, and he has made us a new creation. So I'll pray, and then we'll have some time for that. Father, we just, um, again, we thank you that, um, that you sent Jesus, um, that we were dead in our sin, that the wages that we earned, that everything we have done had earned us death, but that you love us. Jesus, we thank you that, that uh, you lived a perfect life, that you died for us, and most of all, that that you were resurrected, and that your desire is not to rule over us in a way that is brutal and harsh and, um, and unbearable the way that, that sin desires to rule over us, but that your desire for us is for us to follow you, to pick up your easy yoke that you will are gentle and lowly in heart, that you desire most of all to free us from our sin, to forgive us of our sin, that when we feel furthest from you, that when we feel that, that we are caught and stuck in sin and have, have no standing before you, Jesus, that your desire for us is even stronger, that... Um, you pour out grace upon grace on us. And, and we, we pray that, that you help us to move that from, from our head and to our heart and that we internalize it, that we know that you love us, that we know that the power of sin has been broken. And um, we pray that, that as we, we move on from this time, that um, as a body, that, that we take that seriously, that we know that that though the power of sin is broken, you continue to break it, that, that you continue 
to seek to have us to repent of our sin, to confess our sin to one another, to bear each other's burdens, and to love one another, um, to be your hands and feet in that, so that those around us feel that gentleness and mercy and forgiveness because we are showing it to them. Father, we pray this in your name. Amen.